Okay, we're reading from Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 35 to the end of the chapter. So on that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thank you for giving it to us that we might understand more of you and more of our dear Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We pray that you will Open our minds and our hearts and our wills that we might receive your word this morning, act upon it and bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. It's a pretty penetrating question that the disciples asked Jesus there. Do you not care? Do you not care? It's challenging, isn't it, when we seem to care more about something than someone else, particularly when it's something quite important, Uh, when you care about something more than the person whose job it is. I've got a few examples here. Um, This is a street in Melbourne recently, and the person doing the, the, the road surface doesn't care as much as I do and a lot of other people about getting the full surface done there. They just sort of work their way around there. This is another one. I'm not sure, this could be photoshopped, it just seems so unlikely. Um, but this person didn't seem to care, just went around the branch. Even the little reflected things are still on the road there. Um, this one, <laughs> I would imagine that's your bathroom. Uh, yeah, just didn't quite get that right. We've got the next one, uh, there's, there's a door here that just doesn't quite fit. I appreciate this one because they, they've at least still got the tools out. I'm, I'm assuming they are going to fix this, but it would have been a lot easier if the door was too big rather than too small. And, and the final one, um, and this one, <laughs> I mean, how can you do that? I mean, I, I've installed fans before and it is tricky hard work. It would be frustrating to find out that it was banging into the post, but to, to cut out a bit of the post, I hope that's not supporting the structure there, that post. Now, we might want to laugh, uh, we might want to cry, but sometimes I think our lives can feel a little bit like these examples. It, it feels sometimes it's, it's so hard, too hard to deal with different obstacles, uh, things that don't fit, things that don't work properly. Sometimes it can feel like our life is imminently going to collapse. When things 
feel and seem like they're not right actually raises some pretty deep and penetrating questions for us. Because isn't it Jesus' job to care about our lives? We're in a series right now where we're looking at this idea of God's compassion, a compassion that compels. And we've seen over the last number of weeks how much he loves and, and cares for us. Now, if this is this true, then what's it mean when our lives seem to be going in directions that that are seemingly incompatible with a compassionate God who's in control and powerful to change things? What about when God doesn't seem compassionate? You think that those who question Christianity might have a point. If there's suffering, especially for those that are following Jesus, then either he's not powerful to help or he doesn't care enough to help. It's a penetrating, it's a hard question, isn't it? It's one that I think our passage helps us to address. All right, so it's a, it's a well-known passage, Jesus calming the storm. Um, and in this passage, just as we go through it today, we're going we're to look at, there's, rather than have, we're just going to work through the passage, that's our outline. But for those that, that like sort of place markers, we're going to look specifically at three questions that are asked. There's firstly a question that we ask Jesus, do you not care? There's the question that Jesus asked his disciples, he asks us, have you still no faith? And there's actually the question that we need to ask ourselves. And that is, who then is this? Right, so we're going to look at those questions as we go through. If you've got your Bibles there, or feel free to follow along on the screen, um, starting at, at verse 35 of, of Mark chapter 4. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him, oh, I'm in the wrong page. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. There's a couple of things to, to note here. Um, on that day when evening had come, if you sort of look back through chapter 4, you see the day actually started right at the start of chapter 4, and he spent the whole day in the boat preaching to this great crowd that's on land, telling all these parables and stuff. You imagine he's, it's been a pretty big, full day. Jesus is probably pretty tired, which explains him falling asleep in just a sec. Um, but it's interesting that he says, let's go across to the other side. That sounds maybe a little ominous, go to the other side. Is that like the dark side or something? Well, actually, it sort of is a little bit because the way that the Galilee was in, in that time, they're crossing the, the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Galilee, and it's about 13 kilometres wide at its widest point. But they're going from the, the eastern part, sorry, the western part, which is sort of Jewish territory, so those that were familiar and following the, the Old Testament, and actually going to a Gentile area. Okay, so those that, that had different beliefs and, and so forth. So it's just trying to go the other side. Uh, then in verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. There's a couple of details to point out here. He's going just as he was. So he's had a hard day of preaching. He hasn't gone home, had a shower, hasn't got his disciples to get him a you know, Coke Zero or something to perk him up. He's gone just as he, just as he is. Um, and, and it's interesting, the crowd's left, but there's many boats, or there's a number of boats still with, with him. Now, this is interesting. So it's, it's presumably it's not just Jesus and his disciples, but there's lots of other witnesses. This is quite important, because as you go through the, the gospel accounts, you see often when Jesus does miracles, there's lots and lots of witnesses there. So people who later could affirm or deny that these things happened. 
Now, I know in our modern culture, it's very common to be sceptical about miracles and, and whether they can happen, um, that sort of thing. But, but if you're interested in this, I'd actually invite you to, to look for yourself. But it's, it's pretty clear that those in, around and after Jesus' time, a couple hundred years after, didn't seem like anyone really questioned the miracles. So obviously they're affirmed in the, the Bible, but even opponents of Jesus writing about Jesus. So Josephus, even in the Jewish sort of what's become the Jewish scriptures, the Tumult, it's a mention of Jesus as a, as a sorcerer. And, and they're saying they're, they're affirming his miracles. They're saying it's from an evil source. Similar pagan writers um, of the time, a guy called, um, what's his name? Celsus uh, also sort of affirmed the miracles, but, but said that, that it was an evil power that was causing them. But it's, it's an interesting thing to note. At, at that time, the contemporaries and so forth, uh, no one really questioned whether Jesus did or didn't do the miracles. They didn't deny the miracles, even if they um, sort of denounced Jesus as Lord. So, picking up again verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Now, storms are pretty common, the, the Sea of Galilee, still to this day. Particularly in the evening, they can come on pretty suddenly. Uh, it seems like the description here that this was a particularly big one. We get that from the fact that it's termed a great storm. Here, the waves are sort of coming in over the edges and the boat's already filling. We also sort of know that it's particularly big by the fact that Jesus had at least four of his disciples were fishermen by trade, and yet it would seem that they're all frightened and scared. So this is a, this is a big storm that they're, they're in right now. And I just sort of want, want to picture the scene a little bit. Um, got a photo that, like this is, this is actually a photo of the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's not as big a storm, but just imagine, you know, it's darkness, it's probably evening, almost night, uh, the winds are getting bigger and bigger, the, w- the winds getting big- bigger, the waves are rocking the boat, there's water spray, there's also shouting and confusion and chaos and terror amongst the disciples. Now there's this picture, and then you think, well, what's tender-hearted, compassionate Jesus going to do in this situation we read the next verse and he's asleep verse 38 but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion it's a real contrast there between the sort of terror and the franticness of the storm and the disciples and and jesus calmness here it's interesting just a, a few verses early in one of the parables that jesus was was telling he gives his parable about a a farmer who's who's planting the crops are working hard but then he would sleep at night and, and it was God that actually caused the, the growth of the plants. And I, I think Jesus is sort of living that out a, a little bit like, he, like he's asleep because he knows that God is in, in control. Um, in, in his humanity, he is, he's resting in um, the control of his heavenly father. And this brings us to the question that we ask Jesus the disciples asked that there. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? You imagine they would have been shouting and screaming this. They're frantic. They're sinking. And he's just sleeping. 
Imagine the thoughts going through their, their heads. We thought, Jesus, if you were with us, then this type of thing wouldn't happen to us. They're probably thinking, at the very least, Jesus, don't just lie there sleeping. Get a bucket and help us get, in, get the water out of the boat. But th- this, I think, is where those deep questions we were talking about at the beginning really um, need to be asked. Are storms in our lives compatible with a caring and compassionate God? Because surely his compassion and his power means that his followers never need to worry about storms, particularly this sort of dire, life-threatening storms. If he cared, he wouldn't let it happen. If it happens, then does that show that he doesn't care? I just want to take a moment to, to think about um, things in, in your life. And this is probably familiar emotional terrain for a lot of us where we, we question, we cry out, God, do you, do you really care? There are different things in, in your life right now where, where you're crying out about that. Is it, is it because you desire to be in a relationship and aren't? Maybe there's the relationship that you are in or some of the relationships that you have are just really hard and painful. Jesus, do you care? Maybe it's to do with sickness or health. It's you or, or someone else in your life. And you just, Jesus, do you care? What are you doing? If you've got power, why aren't you doing something about this? Well, we're perishing. Maybe you're looking at the world more broadly and you're just seeing some of the directions that it, the world's going. Maybe you're feeling this in the, the workplace um, and you're just feeling the... the the erosion of, of sort of Christian values and you're feeling like you've been, been forced to in, in all sorts of really hard ways in, in the workplace uh, with, with some of the values that have been, been affirmed and you're wondering, Jesus, do you care? Why don't you do something about this? How does Jesus respond to this question? It's actually really interesting. Well, firstly, he rebukes the storm, but then he actually turns around and he rebukes his disciples. Verse 39. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. We see here again that Jesus' word is powerful. Right, just as, as Jesus created all things, uh, we see his powerful wor- word in being able to calm this storm. It's interesting, the, the phrasing of, of how he speaks is very stern here. In fact, the, he used the same wording that he used in Mark chapter 1 when he cast out the, the demon uh, or the evil spirit. So there was a man in the, the synagogue and Jesus was preaching the good news of the gospel and the, the man with the evil spirit was sort of speaking up and interrupting and Jesus said to him, be silent. And he showed there his, his power over the, the evil spirit. Well, he, well, here he used the same phrasing, uh, be silent, be still. And he, he shows his power over the storm. 
It's actually really interesting to parallel those two things because there the, the, the man is sort of stopping him, proclaiming the gospel in the synagogue. And here it would seem that this storm has arisen to actually prevent him going across to speak to the Gentiles and to pre- preach the, the gospel over to the Gentiles on the other side. Right? He's showing that he has power over both. But this brings us then, so he's rebuked the storm. Uh, it brings us to the question that Jesus asks his disciples. He asks us, have you still no faith? Right? It's an interesting, and, and it's a, there's a rebuke in this question. Let's read verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. Have you still no faith? What's he getting at when he's asking this question? Because you can have faith in a sort of a different, there's at least two different options here. He could be saying, have you still got no faith that I'm able to, that I'm powerful to calm the storm? Or is it that he's questioning, have you still no faith that I will, right? that, I, that I care? Right? Do you see those two things, faith that I will, faith that I can? And I think it's both to a degree. On one hand, uh, the disciples here are displaying a lack of faith that he can help. But he puts that to bed here with just a, a word and the storm is calmed. And we see from their reaction that, that as he does that, they now become more afraid of him than the storm. For the third time in our passage, the word great is used. It was first used great of the storm, great calm, now great fear. Okay, and the fear here uh, is that they are in the presence of an even greater power. Right? They're, they're terrified of him and, and his power and his authority at this point. And, and there's a sense where they shouldn't, shouldn't have questioned that, that he was able to do this. Right? Already in Mark's gospel, we're just up to the end of the fourth chapter, but already they had seen miraculously, we talked about casting out the demon, but miraculous power of different healings, the paraplegic, a man with a withered hand. There's, there's all sorts of ways that Jesus has shown his incredible power. Right? So he can help. But on the other hand, they seem to lack faith that he will help. That's really where their question is coming from. Do you not care? They're questioning whether, whether he cares, whether he will help. Now, Jesus is normally very patient with questions. To read through the Gospels, in fact, it's incredible. People come up to him and ask him questions, and some of them are really trying to trick him with their questions and being quite rude with their questions. But generally speaking, he's, he's pretty patient, and he answers them um, really amazingly. And yet it would seem when this question actually makes Jesus pretty irritable, <laughs> the way that he responds. It's, it's really fascinating. He's rebuked the storm, but now he rebukes them. His, his reaction here is quite strong. Now, we know that Jesus' reactions and his emotions are, are perfect. But it sort of reminds me a little bit of the time when he gets angry at the money changes in the temple. You know, when, when he goes in the temple and he turns all the money changes 
tables because he's angry because they're getting in the way and they're preventing people from coming in and wholeheartedly worshipping God. Uh, and, and so he gets angry there. It's, it seems like here is, is different emotion, but he's, there's a strong reaction. He's irritated, he's sort of frustrated because they're questioning whether he cares for them. He wants them to trust that he does care for them. He wants us to trust that he does care for us. He wants you to trust that he cares. I was trying to think of, of how to illustrate what's going on here. And, and I think maybe hopefully a helpful illustration is um, I'm sure you can picture a, a parent that uh, is, is just caring and loving their, their children. Uh, so in so many ways, uh, trying to provide for, um, give care, esteem and love. You imagine at, at one point... Uh, for for good reason, the parent might say no to something. Right? Might put a put a barrier in place. Might might even um, you know allow that child to go through something hard. Right? And you imagine the child turning around at that point and saying, "You don't care. You don't care. You don't give me what I need, what I want. You don't love me." I don't think that's the time to be sympathetic, right? I know part of me as a parent actually, like that, that sort of accusation makes me well up so much I actually want to show that I do care. But at the same time, it's like, oh, don't you know that I care, that I've, I've joyfully sacrificed so much and will continue to do so. Now... Put yourself in that situation because it's my tendency to question, to be quick to question that God cares when there's a no, when something hard. Is that true for you as well? I say from this passage, when hard things happen in life right, and hard things do, and I, oh, well, you know that. As we've been talking these last weeks, Jesus cares tenderly and compassionately as hard things as, as griefs and trials are in our life. Please don't listen to the lie that Jesus doesn't care. Don't listen to that lie. Now, that is the lie that humanity has been listening to ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. Because it was the lie that they listened to that, that God's, God doesn't care. Right? He doesn't love us. His word isn't for our good. So we should reject it and, and eat the fruit. Right? And it's the lie that's actually at the root of every sin. That we question that God loves us, that he cares, that his way is good, that his word is for our good. Right? Don't listen to that lie. And I think sometimes we actually need that to come in a stinging rebuke like it does in this passage. 
He does care. Have you still no faith that he loves you, that he cares, that he'll never leave nor forsake? Now, this brings us to the, the third question in the passage, the question that we need to ask ourselves, the question the disciples ask themselves, who then is this? We see it there in verse 41. They s- said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Who is he? I mean, we see in this passage, Jesus shows so clearly that he is powerful over creation. Right? He is able in, in every way. Yet, I think we are invited to see that it is more than he is just powerful over creation. He has actually entered into his creation to save it, to save us, because he cares. There's a lot of similarities with this, this passage with the book of Jonah. Now, if you were with us as a church a couple of years ago, uh, we preached through the, the book of, of Jonah. But let me just point out a couple of things. Jonah, in that book, he, he, um, he was actually running away from preaching to the Gentiles as, as God had instructed. Uh, and he's asleep in, in a boat when a, a great storm arises actually to prevent him from running away from preaching to the Gentiles. He's awoken by the sailors to pray, to pray to his God. Uh, Then he's eventually thrown overboard to calm the storm. There's a great calm. The sailors, they are exceedingly fearful, um, more so of the calm than the storm. And he spends three days in a whale. Uh, let me put the parallel there for you. Jesus, he's actually going across the lake to preach to the Gentiles. He's asleep in the boat. Uh, the storm arises to prevent him going to the Gentiles. He's awoken uh, by his disciples. Uh, but this time he proves that he is God. He calms the storm with his own word. His disciples, they fear exceedingly. And to show that he cares, Jesus goes on to spend three days in the grave. Now, this is picked up by Jesus himself in, in Matthew chapter 12. Let me just read a, a couple of verses out from from, from this, he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, that's the place where Jonah was going to preach, and he did preach eventually, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Who then is this? Someone greater than Jonah. Someone able and powerful over creation. But more than that, able and powerful over the greatest storm, which is sin and death, God's wrath on, on sin and death. 
able to conquer it because he died and he rose again to show his power over sin and death. But not just able, willing, caring and compassionate to lay down his life. It's no wonder that he, wanted, that he rebuked his disciples when they questioned that he cared because he has shown so wonderfully and so deeply that he does care. Now, we as a church uh, are going to partake together in a meal we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And it's a meal that really wonderfully sort of talks to each of the three questions that are raised in this passage. It's a meal that clearly shows that he cares. Because this meal, it's the elements of the meal are the bread and the, the fruit of the vine, the grape juice. They represent his body broken and his blood shed for our sake. These elements he, he gives to us the, day, the night before he laid down his life for his people to show that he cares. So will you trust that he cares? Right? We're invited. God's people are invited to take the bread and the juice, to receive it, to receive what his power and his compassion has achieved on the cross, in the grave, and in being risen again. And it's just not, not a, a past thing that he has done, but it is a present reality. As we take and eat, be reminded that his care for you is present in the storms, the ups and downs of life. So that final question, who then is this? This meal is communicating to us that he is Lord and Saviour. Right? That he has saved us by being the one that has perished for our sake so that we could have life in his name. He is Lord, he is powerful, he has shown that he has defeated sin and death by rising again to new life.